How many of you set goals for yourself? How many of you like to set goals? I, I love setting goals. I've always been a goal setter, I think, as an athlete, setting goals for myself. And um, um, I, I feel like I'm pretty good at them. Like, I don't, let, I don't set a goal and, and not finish it. It'd be pretty rare for me not to finish it. I think I learned that uh, growing up in my house. Uh, my mom was a very good cook. And so I, I, she put a plate of food in our front. We finished it. I mean, that was finishing. That was a goal, you know. And uh, if you know my family, you know we're good eaters. But um, and if you want dessert, what do you got to do? Finish your plate, right? Come on. You guys don't give your kids dessert, right, do you, unless they finish their, their dinner? That's important. So it's, it's a good thing to accomplish goals, and it feels good, doesn't it? Yes, yes. Many years ago, I set a goal for this church. So when we first kind of started off as a new church plant back in 2005, we were just a few years old, and, and I, it was my first church that I ever pastored as a senior pastor, lead pastor. And so I set a goal. I remember I wrote it down. In fact, uh, I have a notepad full of goals that I had. And I wrote down this goal that, that Life of Purpose would be a dynamic church. Now, I don't know why I picked that word. Um, I didn't really watch uh, Good Times growing up. JJ, you know, things were dynamite. Yeah, how many of you remember dynamite? All right, you probably saw it. He's probably on TikTok or something. I don't know now. But um, I find it funny that uh, my kids now are 15 and 18, and they know a lot of the references back in the 70s and 80s. And I'm like, how do you know that? TikTok, everything's social media that uh, they see. But so um, dynamite uh, was fun, but dynamic church, why that? And I'm pretty sure that back then, all those years ago, I didn't really have the same meaning or definition of a dynamic church that I do now. And I'm pretty sure if we all had to write our own definition of what's a dynamic church, like what does that mean, our responses would vary greatly. And the reason why we wouldn't agree on what a dynamic church is is because we play this game called the comparison game. We compare ourselves to other churches, for example, and we would focus on maybe what we or what we wish we did have. And if we do that, um, um, if, we, if, we, if we think if we just get there, we'll be a dynamic church. And the sad thing is, is we play the comparison game in our individual lives, all the time. We think, if I just had that job, if I just had you know, that car, if I just had that house, or if I just had that spouse, everything would be dynamite. But it's not true, is it? It's a comparison game that we play, and it's really a trap, and it's dangerous. And I'm pretty certain that God doesn't want us to play the comparison game when it comes to his church. Because just like gambling, we'll lose in the long run. It doesn't work that way. The truth is this. We don't need a bigger building. We don't need better programs. We don't need more people to be a dynamic church. What do we need? When you have a tough question like that in life, when you're asking yourself, what do, you, what do we need? I've been teaching you this for a long time. We go to the Word. We, we get the answer in God's Word. So we go to the Bible and we see, what does God say about a dynamic church? Now, if we go to God's Word, I could, like many pastors do every Sunday morning, I could pull verses out 
and show you and say, that, look, this is what a dynamic church looks like, and we should be like that. For example, I could tell you that we should be like Acts 2.42, the very first church. Acts 2.42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, that's called the, the simple church, and the first church was certainly a dynamic church. It grew rapidly, and it, it, it certainly reached a lot of people. But should we be like that church? Should we model life of purpose after the first church that we see in Jerusalem? Or should we be like the church in Corinth? Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. And we see a little glimpse of what a church service looked like. He says, what then, brothers, when you guys come together, one has a hymn, another a lesson, another a revelation another a tongue, and then another an interpretation of that tongue. Let all things be done for building up. That church in Corinth had miraculous spiritual gifts that were going on almost every Sunday, it appears, and they were certainly a dynamic church. You know, should we be like them? Should we try to be like them? Or maybe we want to be like the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 2.19 says, when He says, when you're a church, you're no longer strangers and aliens, you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I like how he calls us, the church members, the household of God, a family. Well, that's a dynamic church. I remember, uh, you know, our church has been a a small church for a long, long time, and people like it that way. You know, the, the founders of this church, they wanted a small church. They came from a small group, and they just wanted to keep it small and, and be a family church, and it was dynamic to them. So why don't, why don't we want to model ourselves after those churches? Because then we'd be playing the comparison game. It'd be a trap again. We'd be trying to be like them. And I'd much rather look at the whole New Testament to try to understand what a dynamic church looks like. The whole New Testament. I promise you, it'll only take us to the halftime of the Lions game. That's it. I'll get you there for the second half. I'm kidding. I understand. People are excited about our Lions. So what kind of church does God want us to be? What matters most to him? What to, when God defines a dynamic church, what does he think? Well, I can't answer it in one sermon. I can maybe answer it in five sermons, and this so happens to be sermon number four. Uh, we're in the middle of a series, whether you knew it or not. Um, it's called Next Steps. Next Steps. What's your next step with God? And when we walk with God together, I think we become a dynamic church. Let me say that again, because I think that's important. When we walk together, when we walk with God together, then we become a dynamic church, because it's about us doing this together. So I want to recap the steps. In case this is your first time, second time, third time, or maybe you're kind of new coming to Life of Purpose, you're going to love this because this is kind of what we're all about. This is kind of the direction we're going in terms of discipling. How do we help you grow in your walk with God? How do we help you get closer to God? Because that's what a lot of people want. In fact, that's the number one reason why people do come to church. They want to get closer to God. So how how do we go about that? How do we help you do that? It won't happen if you just show up on Sundays. It doesn't happen. Trust me. I've seen it. There has to be connection. Step number one is the gospel. That's where it all starts. That's the starting point for Christians. It's the gospel. A person joins God's church not by going to a member class. That's not how you join God's church. 
the, the, the ecclesia, the, the body of Christ. That's not how you join the church. You hear the gospel, you believe it, you repent, and you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That whole thing is what we call being born again by the Holy Spirit. That's the whole conversation John, uh, Jesus had with Nicodemus, and it's in John chapter 3. But that's genuine membership into God's church. And you're not going to get a license that you can show, hey, look, I'm a member of God's church. You're not going to get that. What you're going to get is even better. You're going to get something inside of you. You're going to get the Holy Spirit living in you. That's what you're going to get. And that's when you have the gospel. Now, some ask me, over many years of pastoring, I've been asked lots of times, how do I know I have the Holy Spirit? I'm worried. Do I, am I really a Christian? How do I know? Well, let me tell you how you know. Do you believe Jesus is God's Son? And do you believe that He's the only way that your sins can be atoned for? The only way that you can have forgiveness is in Jesus Christ. You can't earn your way to heaven by being a good person. Jesus is the only way by grace through faith. You won't believe that if you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you. That's the bottom line. In fact, it says in Romans that that message right there will be offensive to you because you think you're a good person when you're not really a good person. And so when you believe, yeah, I'm a sinner. I fall short of God's glory. But while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. If you believe that, that's the gospel. You have the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful thing. And that's step one. And by the way, um, we want, I want you to, to join me in a class that I'm teaching on October 14th, next Saturday at 11 a.m. And, and then also again, repeating on Saturday, November 11th. You can come to one date or the other, and it's a little more of a dialogue. We get to talk a little bit, and then from there you get to share your story or, um, with, with, what, with one of us, because we believe when you share your story, it's a powerful thing. Our story is part of his story for his glory. Amen? And we need to be sharing our story, and I have a vision for us to be sharing our story in all of St. Clair Shores and surrounding area so that people can hear the gospel. We need to share the gospel. That's step one, really. Step two is God's church. A couple weeks ago I preached on this. Um, uh, step two is uh, what, why would you join the local church? Why would you join the church be a part of it? Well, I gave you some benefits of joining any church, and then I gave you expectations we have here at Life of Purpose. And I kind of um, um, gave the message to you in the, this context of Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. He spent three and a half years with Jesus, and then, when Jesus was at his darkest hour, when he faced the cross, where was Jesus, or where was Peter? He was in the crowd. He was hiding. He didn't want to be bold, because he was afraid. And I said, let's, let's, let's not be like Peter. Let's not be in the crowd. Let's not just kind of come whenever we kind of feel like uh, we need a, a little spiritual boost. We're going to show up to church and, and, and get, a little, get our worship on, you know. We're, no, like commit to God's church. Peter did eventually because he saw Jesus alive. And he saw his resurrection. And he saw this, this is the real deal. And I'm going to pick up my cross and I'm going to follow Jesus to the end. And he did. And he felt so um, unworthy that he was crucified upside down to not be like Jesus, his Savior, his Lord. And so we commit to God's church. Um, 
wonderful things happen, and that's actually class number two. I'm just focusing on two classes right now. Step two, take that class. That's the, the next Saturday, October 21st, and Saturday, November 18th. You can sign up for these on that wonderful page Connie told you about. That, that new page we created on our website, the Compass page, the place to go to know uh, and to sign up. So gives you direction. Get it? The Compass. We kind of got this nautical theme going on here, you know, in case you haven't, you know, we're, we're, we're by the water. Um, step number three, growing up. Last week I talked about how do you spiritually mature. And the answer was in Romans 12, 1 and 2. We renew our mind and God transforms us. We do our part. We have spiritual disciplines. We have holy habits, reading our Bible, praying, going to church and worshiping, serving, all those things. But also, we must submit to God's will. We must surrender ourselves to his will because growing up, we learn this impulsive will. We want something, we go take it. You know, a kid, you want a cookie, you go get it, and you just take it. Um, you know, Hunter was... Uh, uh, talking to me in there, and, and he knows. He just shows up here on Sunday, and he goes up there, and on the counter, there's cookies and everything. He just takes them, right? It's, in our, it's our impulsive will, right? But it becomes our embodied will in, 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 in terms of spiritual formation, in terms of spiritual disciplines. That's not a good thing, because oftentimes what comes out of our heart is ugly. And so God wants to change that within us. So we have our reflective will, where we renew our mind, and then we exchange that ugly, impulsive will with God's reflective will, the, re the renewed will. And so information plus application equals transformation. So in the, in the classes, give you the information from the message, give you the information. You've got to apply it. You've got to put in the work, and God changes you. That's transformation. doesn't happen by accident. Here we are, step four. This week, spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. You might wonder why I chose to emphasize spiritual gifts when it's not really a, a major theme in the New Testament. When you read your Bible and you look, you open up your Bible and you read the New Testament, there's 27 books there, and you read through those all. If you've ever read, how many of you ever read through the whole New Testament? Good for you. All right, it's it's uh, um, lots about the church and lots about our individual growth and. A lot of practical things. But when you read through the New Testament, you're not going to see a ton about spiritual gifts. It's actually only mentioned in three places. Um, but, uh, you know, why did I pull that out? Why is that a, a whole step in itself? Um, you might also be thinking, oh, man, spiritual gifts. He's going to start talking about speaking in tongues and healing. And I don't want to go there again. And then uh, some of you are like, yeah, let's go there again, you know. There's mixed reviews on that. Don't worry, it's not about those spiritual gifts, the miraculous sign gifts. It's actually more about the purpose of spiritual gifts. Why do we have spiritual gifts? Why does God gift us, gift, the word gift is grace, why does he grace us with these, these spiritual things, these, these abilities, if you will? Well, the purpose of spiritual gifts there is one purpose, and it is to build up his church, his people, to build up his people. And John was talking a little bit about that, of, of how we chip in and help one another. But we do that. We can do that in our own strength, but when we do that, when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, it, amazing things can happen. So I'm emphasizing it because, in fact, all five steps, if you think about it, all five steps, the purpose is to build up his church. God gives us 
Um, all these things that build up his church. So that we can endure suffering and be victorious until Jesus comes back. And I fully understand that I stand apart, perhaps from many other Bible teachers and preachers that stand in the pulpit on Sunday morning and they tell you about how prosperous God wants you to be. The prosperity gospel is being taught and it's actually quite popular because lots of people want to hear that God wants them to be rich and wealthy and have everything. But I stand over here and I preach a message that I tell you that God wants you to endure suffering for His glory. And when I say that, I say that because I preach the whole Bible. I teach the whole Bible. I don't just pick passages out and shine them up on the screen and say, look it, this is what God wants for you. I teach the whole Word of God, and that's so important. In fact, we see in the book of Revelation this very truth that God is calling us to endure suffering, to be victorious, to overcome, until Jesus comes back. If you haven't come on a Wednesday night, why not? We're having so much fun. I mean, we're diving into this book, verse by verse, Revelation. And it's not a book about end times, which so many people think. It's not this, this book about like so many weird things I can't understand. Yeah, there's weird things I can't understand. I get it. But it's a book about what's going on right now in the church. In fact, in Revelation 2 and 3, which is where we're at, we're just getting started, it represents the whole church because John is writing, dictating this letter from the angel from, from, it's all about the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's, what, it's revealing who Jesus is. And in these letters, there's seven of them. And the word, the number seven, appears over 50 times in the book of Revelation. And by the way, over 700 times in the whole Bible. What does the number seven mean? Well, I'll answer, you can answer that question for yourself. How many days in a week? Yeah, it completes. That's the number seven in the Bible. It's about completion. And the seven churches, it's really not about those seven churches as it is, is the whole church, the universal church. So when we read those letters in Revelation 2 and 3, we see that those are applying to the universal church. It applied to them specifically then, but it applies to us today. You can read about those, but in essence what you'll see is, is that at the end of every single letter, there is an encouragement to endure the suffering to overcome until I come back. And that's what he's telling us as this church today, that we must overcome. We must overcome the, the false teaching. Oh my gosh, it's in there in Revelation over and over and over again, the false teachers. And we see it today. We see the false teaching. The prosperity gospel. Like, they don't teach you that you're a sinner. They just teach you that God wants your best life. Now. You can have it now. That's not what this says in the Bible. The whole Bible. Yeah, you can pluck out a couple of verses, but the whole Bible says that we must endure the suffering. We must, we must battle and defend against false teaching. It starts off sounding Christian, but it's for their own agenda. And false teachers are everywhere. They're on stages. They're in churches. They have millions of followers. 
on their social media, but they twist God's word and they don't teach the whole, the whole Bible. And then they mix in other religions, which is exactly what was going on in the book of Revelation in those churches in that day. So we must be ready as a church. We must protect God's word and we must defend against the false teaching, but we must also not do what the church in Ephesus did. They lost their first love. And, and we talked about that on Wednesday. What is that first love? What is, it, what is that love that a church must have? And it's prob- It doesn't say specifically, it doesn't define it specifically, but we can pretty much say, um, um, if we just look at what Jesus said, as a commandment. He said, a new commandment I give you in John. He said, love one another. So loving one another and loving God and sharing the gospel with the lost so that someday they might sing what we sang this morning, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, but blind, but now I see. How many of you sing that song with joy in your heart? Because I know what I used to be. I used to be a wretch, but now I was blind, but now I can see. Praise God. And we stand for truth. We're going to encounter suffering. We may not experience suffering um, in this part of the world like others are doing in other parts of the world, but soon enough we just might. We just might in America endure, have to endure that kind of suffering. But we do it for the glory of God. All for the glory of God. Amen? By the way, did you know that only one of the churches of the seven in Revelation still exists today? Only one. That whole area is western Turkey, and it's now occupied by Muslims. My question is, will life of purpose, church, remain until the end? My prayer is we will. And the answer, I think, though, depends on step four. What will you do with your spiritual gift? Will you use it to build up the church? Because we'll die if you don't. If you depend on just a few people, and I hear that all the time, you know, there's only a few people. 10% of the people do 90% of the work. It's that way in every organization. Well, it's not supposed to be that way in God's church. In fact, the the leaders, the 10%, are supposed to be equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry so that we all do our part. We all chip in and, and do our part. The overarching question uh, of this series, of these five steps, what's my next step with God? And it's easy to look at that and say, oh, this is about my walk with God. Well, yes, but it's not for your glory. <laughs> it's for his glory. And uh, how is God most glorified? When we do his will. When we shine his light, as Jesus said. In fact, there's lots of uh, of encouragement in the Bible, Peter wrote to the church, 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. And this is what he says to Christians. He says, you're a chosen race. Well, now Peter was Jewish, and the Jewish people consider themselves to be the chosen race, the people of God, and they were. But now, who is the chosen race? The church. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a people for his own possession, so that we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God's called us to walk together and shine his light. 
everywhere we go. When you share your story, your go- the gospel, that's encouraging to all of us, isn't it? I've been sitting down with people and listening to their story, sharing, they, they share how they came to Christ, how, they, how God has, has worked through all of the, the, the baggage and, and the, the ugliness and all of that, and, and I love it. It's so encouraging to me. I can't wait to sit down with the next person and hear their story. I can't wait to hear your story. And now some of you have been doing it and you love it. It's amazing. When you commit to, to the church, we know who we can count on. You know, when you, when, when you know that you can count on someone, isn't that wonderful? Yeah, you, they're, they're trustworthy. You say, hey, you know what, I'm going to help you out next week. Um, I'll be there. And you're like, yeah, they will. Love it. That's, a, that's awesome. When you grow up in your faith, you help others grow up. You should always be mentoring somebody and being mentored by somebody else. You should be growing up. It encourages us. It helps us grow up. And when you use your gift, it builds us up. So this isn't about you. And that's exciting. It's about something bigger than you. And I like to be about, about uh, part of stuff that's bigger than me. That's really fun. It's really exciting. This is about God's church and it's about his glory. Peter went on to say in chapter 4, this is one of the places the spiritual gifts are mentioned. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Right there is one of the purposes of the gifts, to build up the church. Serve one another. As good stewards, managers of God's varied grace, again, those words are the same, grace, charis, and gifts, charis. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. To him belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I mean, Peter is saying what I've been telling you, right? We, build, we, do, we have gifts for, for God's glory. And the spiritual gifts that are mentioned in other places, which I'll go there in, in a minute here, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, and a little bit in Ephesians. In those texts, Paul uh, specifically compares the spiritual gifts of the church to the parts of our human body. And it's a great analogy because we all need all the parts of our body. We have arms and legs and fingers and toes and we need them. And you don't look down at your big toe and say, I don't need you anymore. You do. You would be amazed how much you couldn't balance yourself if you didn't have your big toes. And you need your ear. You don't say, oh, I don't need you left ear. You need it to function properly. So we need you to build up the church. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7. There is a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's a variety of service, but the same Lord. There's a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And this is the good news for you. If you're a Christian, to to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You have a spiritual gift, and you should be exercising it. But you should be doing it with His power. You should be plugging into the Holy Spirit and empowered. Oh, what's that that TikTok? uh, Holy Spirit activate? You might have heard that one before. That was a good one. But that's what we need. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us, to, to activate us in, 
into building up the church. Verse 11, chapter 12. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Don't misunderstand. Maybe you thought that, oh, everybody gets one spiritual gift and that's it. No, that's not how it works at all. As you walk with God, as you do what God has called you to do, the Holy Spirit will empower you with whatever He needs you to have. You know, that's why sometimes when we take a spiritual gifts test, we use that test as our marker and we say, oh, that's the spiritual gift that I have and that's what I should be doing only. Don't do that. In fact, when you take a spiritual gifts test, which there's lots of them and I don't say that you can't take it, but what I think you're actually getting from that is what the Holy Spirit's already been doing in your life. And you're answering those questions because that's what God's been doing in your life. Why are gifts so important? Verse 25 and 26. So there may be no division in the body. Nothing worse than a church split. Everybody gets hurt, Christians especially. But that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all of us suffer together. If one member is honored, we all rejoice together. We're in this together, walking together, one step at a time. And then in verse 31, but earnestly desire, Paul says, the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. Some have taken that out of context and said, oh, I should should want those those better gifts, those those more important gifts, as if like when you get Christmas presents, the, the young people like this one, you know, you get the PlayStation 5, and you get the socks. You know, in the Christmas story, you take the socks and you throw them over your shoulder because you don't care about those. You care about this. This is a better gift. But that's not how spiritual gifts work. That's not even what Paul is saying. He's saying it's better if it builds up the church more. Because he goes on to say in 13 and 14 that these gifts are for the purpose of building up the church. In fact, uh, chapter 13 In chapter 13, you have probably heard these words at a wedding. And if you hear them enough at a wedding, you probably think that they were intended for married couples. They're not. They're intended for the church. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Sound familiar? Of course you've heard it at a wedding. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. But don't think of it as a married couple. Think of it as church members. Look next to you. Turn around and look at somebody. That's the person you're supposed to be patient with and kind to and not envious and not boastful and not arrogant and not rude. Love doesn't insist on its own way in its own chair. Some of you have your own chair. It's not your chair. You don't buy a chair here and get to sit there. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. It it rejoices with truth. Love bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. Love never ends. And Paul goes on to say, prophecies will, will pass away, tongues will cease, knowledge will pass away, and so on. But his point is this. You can have spiritual gifts, but if you don't have love, what's the point? They go together. you got to have love. you gotta, you got to share the gospel with someone with love. Not beat them over the head with the Bible. 
Love them. Speak the truth in love. Then he goes on to say in 14, verse 1, pursue love and desire the spiritual gifts. And then he says, especially that you may prophesy. And the reason why is because he's comparing that to the speaking in tongues, where prophecy will actually build up the whole church. Tongues just maybe builds up yourself. That's what he's saying in chapter 14. And it's the point I'm making to you is what's the purpose of spiritual gifts? Building up the church. All of us building each other up. Sums it all up, verse 12. So with yourself, Paul said, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. And then Paul went, boom, dropped the mic, left the stage. No, he said a few things. But that was the key point there. Why why do you have these gifts? Why are all these gifts happening in this church right now? Because God wants you to build up the church. He doesn't want you to be disorganized and weird and he doesn't want people running up and down the aisles and and hooting and how that's not he, he says there's order have order one thing at a time build up my church if somebody walks in they don't want you don't want them walking right back out whoa this place is weird i'm out of here you don't want that you want order you want the, you want the gospel preached you want the most important things so as i said earlier the church is Today, if you compare yourself to the church like the church in Corinth, and you say, oh man, we got to be like that church. We'll be a dynamic church if, if we could just have all those miraculous gifts. No, you won't. No, you won't. In fact, I, I don't even think the Corinthian church um, is the norm, or even was the norm back then. I don't even think it would happen that way. If you look at the, 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 the gifts, in fact, miracles in the Bible, you'll see they're clumped into three, three time frames. The time of Moses, which we looked at when we studied Exodus, the time of Elijah, and then the time of the apostles with Jesus. Other than that, it's like, it's kind of the exception, not the rule. Um, I, and I believe all the gifts uh, uh, still occur today. I'm not a cessationist. I, I believe that those, any of those gifts can happen, but I think the rest of the New Testament shows us that, that what was going on in, in Corinth was, was pretty unique. I mean, Paul wrote, wrote to a lot of churches. He wrote to seven churches, by the way. Isn't that cool? Paul wrote to seven churches, and he doesn't say anything really to the church in Ephesus or Colossae or Thessalonica or Galatia or Philippi. John, James, and Peter, they all wrote letters in the New Testament. Do they talk about spiritual gifts? No, but they write about encouraging you to build up the church. That's what they write about. Use whatever God has given you, the grace he's given you, the gifts, to build up the church. And I'll just tell you what I think every church needs more than anything. To, um, what, what, what I, I think there's nine gifts that I'm going to mention, and, and I think it'll be um, fun for you to listen to these gifts and say, you know what, I think that's my gift. I think that's what God has, has gifted me to, to, to use. And, and there's a couple things about spiritual gifts. What makes them a spiritual gift is, number one, the Holy Spirit has given you a passion for that. And number two, He's empowered you to do that. He's given you a passion for it. And so if I say this gift and I explain it just briefly, and you're like, oh yeah, I love that. That's probably because the Holy Spirit has given you that gift. Probably. Second thing is, has he empowered you 
to do it. So real quickly, I'll run through these. Evangelism. Does your heart break for the lost? Like people that don't know Jesus, does your heart break for them? They don't know Jesus, they're lost? You just feel compelled, like, man, I just wish I could really share the gospel with them. I wish I could share my story with them. That's, That's the gift of evangelism. Like, maybe you have that gift. And note, do you have to have a gift to do that? No. Because we can all share our story and we can all share the gospel, but some people just have, a, like it burdens them. Like they really want to do that. Keith is one of those guys here in our church. Prophecy is not foretelling the future. It's forthtelling God's word. God puts it on your heart, a truth, and you boldly speak that truth into a person's life. That's prophecy. A prophetic word. Teaching. Like you're good at making clear the truth of God's word. I hope I have that gift. I think I have that gift. I, I love teaching the word. and I love making it clear and simple and understandable and practical and applicable. And, and that's something I believe God has gifted me to have. Exhortation is another one. You love to motivate others to apply God's truth. You exhort, encourage. Like that's something you, you can, you're, you're inspiring. Shepherding is another gift. You, you enjoy overseeing others, coaching, equipping the saints to do the work. Serving. You, 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 just, you just want to meet people's basic needs. Could be emotionally, could be mentally, could be physically, spiritually. You just want to meet their needs. You love serving others. Counseling. You, like, you can discern. And, and you love showing mercy. And you like comforting people in need. It's almost like a, a, one of, some people call it mercy showing. You're showing mercy to others. Giving. You just delight in, 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 in uh, investing in kingdom business. You want to release as much um, resources as you can so that the church can, can grow. Administration. You're strong with organizing, administering, promoting, etc. Lots of things in administration. So which one of those things did, did perked up your... You know, which one of those did you hear and be like, ooh, yeah, that's me. That's definitely me. I'd love for you to write that down in your connection card. I'd love for you to... You can text it to our number... We have that capability. Our, our cell phone or our phone number is uh, in your program. You can text that. Put your name there so we know who, who you are, who's texting. And uh, tell us what your spiritual gift is. I'd love to respond to you and encourage you. So when the, the Spirit gives you a passion, empowers you to use your gift, the church grows. It's strengthened. We become dynamic. We can be dynamite. And that's my goal for us, for our church. For our, that's my prayer. What ministry team are you on right now? Are you on a team that loves evangelizing, prophesying, teaching, exhorting, shepherding, serving, counseling, giving, administering? You should be on a team serving the Lord together. And you don't do it to please me or please even yourself. You do it to please God. Because it's His good, pleasing, and perfect will that we should offer our bodies as living sacrifices. So we build up his church. And I promise you, people need your help. Will you help them? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, how it 
hopefully encourages us to, to walk closer to you and to trust in you and, and to ask you, just simply ask you, Lord, what's, what gift have you given us? What, what gift have you given all of us so we can build up your church? God, your church is bigger than us, much bigger. It's for your glory. And I pray, Lord, as we, as we seek you, as we, we just diligently seek you, as we, we make a bigger commitment than we've ever made before, I pray, Father, that we would, we would do that. We would just, just, just put it all out there. Go all in. Stop messing around with pretending. But, Lord, that we would truly give, you, give, it, give it our all to you and serve, not for ourselves, but for others, to build up your church for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.